You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, fortunately, the last 24 hours have been somewhat uneventful, all things considered. With that said, there is a little bit of news going around, so we might as well uh, touch on those before we move on to Packers, Bears, etc. First of all, why not start with this? I didn't even really think about addressing it, but uh, why not? There was a video posted, and I don't know exactly who these guys are. It's the Game Day NFL. They got 29,000 followers, uh, thegameday.com. I don't know. I always wonder how these small accounts have like, oh, yeah, we got like five guys. We got our own building. Like, we do our own studio. Like, what? what, what, what? I don't understand. But anyways, they, they told a very interesting story. And if, you, if you're on social media, especially Twitter, you know that there are several accounts that are well known to be either fake or questionable in terms of their authenticity when it comes to being, you know, insiders with insider knowledge and all that kind of stuff. I'll just leave that in the background for now. So this game day NFL crew apparently had somebody like tweeting at other accounts. And and strangely, they seem to be tweeting at other accounts that do exactly what this person does. It's other kind of hacky, fakey kind of accounts. It, Maybe a better or more um, less harsh way to put it is wannabe insider accounts that kind of just retweet information that's already known, but they do it really quickly and whatever. I don't know. And so all these sort of wannabe accounts are being attacked by this game day NFL Twitter account. And the guys that are there are like, I don't know who's doing this. And so they limited who had access between just them and one other person. They changed all the passwords numerous times, kept deleting all the tweets, and it still kept happening. Somebody reached out, some people are crazy in terms of how they know stuff, and said they think they know who's doing it and how they're doing it, and there was some tweet decky looking thing that allowed them to maintain access. And so the guy goes through these hoops to bring back TweetDeck, which is not even a functional thing anymore, although Twitter does have a thing that's basically TweetDeck, I don't know if that's the same thing or what, but anyways... They get in there, they look at shared permissions and find out who has permission to access, and turns out it's Dove Climate. Now, it's kind of a not very important story as to how they ended up giving him access at one point. It was a very minor thing, just allowed him to come in, tweet some stuff for him once, and the guy made himself an administrator on their account and hit it, and has been using their account to attack other accounts. And again, these are all accounts similar to his, saying, you know, you guys are fake, this is a clickbait account, this is a fake account. So Dove Kleiman has been a very well-known fake insider for a long time. Like, it's one of those, like, you try to dig into who Dove Kleiman is, and it's like, you know, everybody else that's on there. I mean, Ian Rappaport, you know who he is. You know what his face looks like. He's on the networks. That's not the, sta- the, the, the case with this guy. So, I mean, it's just, it's just complete low-life behavior to, I mean, it's one thing, anybody can just create a burner. Why would you go to the trouble of using somebody else's actual account where they could eventually figure out who you are, especially since it's your account that's linked to it. So if they ever find out, they can just go in and see your account on there. I mean, just not a very smart person, first of all. But to be so petty is to, I mean, I, 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 I'll, 
I don't use burner account. Nobody's going to believe that, but I just, I don't, I've never done that. I've never had a burner account that I've used to like go get angry at people. It's so, it's so dumb. If you have an issue, go say it to their face. And if you have a, a position or something that you don't uh, want anyone to know that you hold, maybe it's a position you shouldn't have. But I mean, this is a guy with 266,000 followers on Twitter. And he's spending his time hacking into other people's accounts and using it as his own burner so that he can attack other accounts that are similar to his accounts to make people think that they're fake. It's just, it's so dumb and it's so petty. And it's like, this is what you want to do with your life? Absolutely unbelievable. So if you're following Dove Kleiman, please unfollow him. There are 266.5 thousand people that are following that person, and I just have no idea why anybody would be doing that. I mean, I very commonly will retweet stuff from guys like that entirely because it's just the first place I see it, and I'm not going to just keep searching around the internet to find the first person that did it and then reach. I I just don't care that much. I guess I could block them or something so I don't see them. I don't know. It doesn't matter. And Part of the reason I'm bringing it up now, too, is it's, it's drawing a lot of attention. And so there's a little bit of a groundswell. I don't think it's going to have any impact on his account. I think this is going to last probably about the next five hours. And then people are going to forget, and he's going to go back to doing what he does with all his followers. If we could just grab a hold of this moment and take advantage of it, that would be great. Anyways, in other news, they found out what it was that burned down uh, Tyreek Hill's house. Apparently, there was a kid in a room playing with a lighter. So um, don't need to expand on that, I guess. No need to expand on you know asking questions about why... A kid was playing with a lighter by himself. Just leave that alone. Dalvin Cook, who uh, decided he wanted to part ways. Somebody's at the front door. And it's my wife just dancing for the camera. All right. Dalvin Cook, who decided to part ways with uh, the Jets. And, of course, it was mutual. Of course it was. The Jets were like, oh, yeah, totally. We totally want you going to. Friggin' loser. He decided to play for the Baltimore Ravens, which, again, it makes perfect sense. Dalvin Cook picked up Aaron Rodgers' phone call. He got excited. He thought that it was real. Rodgers was going to take him to the promised land. They were going to the playoffs. And that's what he wanted. I mean, different guys are at different spots in their career. And for Dalvin, he just wants to be, he wants to hoist the Super Bowl trophy, man. I get that for sure. Go get it. Well, the Jets were a freaking disaster. So he forced his way off. And who did he go to? He went to the team. That makes a lot of sense as a Super Bowl contender, the Baltimore Ravens. So the Ravens were like, we will take you. And uh, Dalvin's like, I freaking could not care any less what you're paying me. Thanks for having me. I'll be right there. That's not by way of official report. That's just me telling you that I know exactly what happened, and I don't need to read any articles to explain what happened because that's what happened. And then in the uh, the draft world, I figured we'd go over this really quickly. Um, several people are now starting to declare for the draft. That's obviously a pretty important aspect of this. We always get excited about the prospects, but there are some prospects that uh, could ultimately determine that they want to go back. Generally, these are not prospects that, um, you know, are early first round or just first round in general. I mean, what are you going back to prove at that point? But just a couple of the names so far that you might recognize. Uh, Braylon Allen, you might know as a Badger if you're a Packer fan, a lot of Badger fans, obviously. Joe Alt. These are in alphabetical order, so it's not going to be necessarily in an order that would make sense to you or anybody else. Uh, Wide receiver Keon Coleman, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback, Olu Fashanu, Cameron Kitchens, or Kitchens is how I prefer to say it, Drake May, who has a shot at being number one overall, Max Melton, who um, is not really relevant in terms of I wouldn't have listed him if I didn't assume that he was Bo Melton's brother which I do because he goes to Rutgers. Something to think about. Uh, Jerzon Newton, Dallas Turner, Jeremiah Trotter, Jared Verse, Nate Wiggins. I'm flying through this pretty quick, so I'm probably missing some people, and obviously it depends where you personally have these. But I also saw several other people. I think, uh, I, I believe I saw Sauce Gardner, although I lost it. Uh, big one that a lot of people are excited about. I had several people send it to me. I'm also very excited about it. Texas running back Jonathan Brooks has declared for the NFL draft. Be a lot of fun to be able to watch a little bit more of him. Obviously become a big fan of uh, Texas running backs at this point. And then the big one, Cooper DeGene has uh, declared for the NFL draft. I actually just saw recently, I think on Tuesday, some people were hinting that 
maybe Cooper DeGene would not actually declare for the draft. And, um, you know, my comment was that seems kind of silly because although he's probably not going to be an early first round pick, it'd probably be mid would be my guess. First round pick as a safety. I don't know that he gets much higher. And so the risk reward is clearly leaning toward to get out. Now you get your money earlier. You come out younger, you make more money overall. The risk of injury obviously is massive. And, you know, again, how much more money are you actually going to make? Even if you're able to boost your stock, which honestly, as good of a season as he's had, more likely to regress than anything else. But uh, moving on to Bears-Packers, we've got the injury report here. Not going to go through the whole list again. As far as changes, Zane Anderson, who I cannot believe I have to keep mentioning, went from limited to a full participant. Josh Myers also went from limited to full, which is great news. Keyshawn Nixon limited to full. Um... And then Quay Walker and Dontavian Wicks also went from limited to full participant. So that's all really good news. Everybody that did not participate yesterday is still not participating. That is the bad news. That includes A.J. Dillon, Rudy Ford, Elton Jenkins, Isaiah McDuffie, and Preston Smith. So one of the biggest concerns right now is around Elton Jenkins, not only because what he provides, I know last week was rough, but generally speaking, he's one of our more reliable offensive linemen, probably behind Zach Tom. Um, and then how do you shake up the offensive line? And then I've seen a lot of concern about, well, Matt LaFleur does a bad job of determining who the offensive lineman should be, which I, I hate that we hold to these like hard and fast rules. Like somebody made a mistake or two or three or four mistakes. So they're just incapable of ever doing a right thing ever. Like, I, I just, I don't understand that. First of all, they've been making right decisions a lot of the time, right in front of our face and all of the, you know, same with like, well, I know Jordan Love is bad because Gutekunst is bad with quarterbacks. Why? Because of these two examples. So he can't draft quarterbacks. Like, can we stop with that? I'm not saying you can't have some concern, but why do we always have to create rules based on like a couple things that happen? These things happen, therefore, this is and will always be. Thus saith the Lord. Anyways, the other one that obviously a lot of people are concerned about is Preston Smith. That's not to say Isaiah McDuffie wouldn't be great to have, but at the same time, it looks like our two starting linebackers are going to be good to go. So presuming they can make it through four quarters, you know, of course, I'd love to have Isaiah McDuffie healthy for every reason. That's not as impactful as, say, Elton Jenkins. Same thing with Rudy Ford. I mean, we've kind of been going with a Savage Owens kind of hybrid thing here. I'm not even sure he's numbered. I feel like I haven't even seen him in a while. So, I, you know, whatever. And A.J. Dillon, you know, I'd like to have him. I think we can manage without him. Also, as much as it sucks to not have Elton Jenkins and Preston Smith, and that's, of course, a maybe. There's, I'm not saying that they're not, but I'm just, it's as a thought experiment. Compared to how many people we have been without, and, and granted, there might be more people. You know, we don't know Aaron Jones or Luke Musgrave or Jonathan Owens, or Jaden Reed, or TJ Slayton, or Christian Watson are for sure going to play, although I think Christian Watson's for sure, but we've had much worse situations. I mean, I think being without Aaron Jones has been absolutely crippling. I think being without Christian Watson has been crippling. I think losing your number one tight end and basically not having any tight ends until Tucker Craft, you know, kind of figured it out. If we don't want to say crippling, it sucks. I mean, losing David Bakhtiari has been rough, but we've figured it out. So, um, and I want to get into a little bit of this defensive performance and and what specifically the issues are. But I I, I would say that at the very least, I think that this can be managed. And obviously the hope is we get more healthy than than not healthy, more people playing than not playing. Kind of hard to parse out Matt LaFleur's comments. I mean, if I were to read too much into it, I would say I would lean Preston over Elton Jenkins coming back. Um, just based on the way that he talked about it for Preston, you know, he knows how to take care of himself. And, you know, what was the comment? Not optimism, but uh, he's, he's hopeful that Preston will be able to play on Sunday, which doesn't really mean anything. And then for Elton Jenkins, he says, um, you know, missing two days means there's concern for Sunday. Well, Preston's missed two days too. So I, I don't know that there's a huge difference there, but just the way that it was talked about, and maybe it has to do with the way that the questions were formulated. But if I had to pick one, I'd pick Preston in terms of who I think will play. If I had to pick one based on my hopes, um, well, everyone, obviously, but I would lean Elton Jenkins as my, I know Preston's incredibly valuable, but I just, I really want, uh, you know, 
the offense to be able to operate, especially with a defense that's seemingly playing pretty well right now. But on the flip side, the Bears' Cole Komet did go from not practicing to limited participation. Everything else stayed the same, which means Bajent has not practiced. Uh, Jalen Johnson has not practiced now for two days. Darnell Mooney, with a concussion, has been out two days, as well as their long snapper Patrick Scales. And Khalil Herbert was added. He is now a limited participant with a back injury. And Mercedes Lewis did not participate, but that was a veteran rest day, so no reason to believe he won't be out there. Anyways, why don't we take a break? We'll come back. I want to get to a few other little comments that were uh, being floated around. And um, then I want to start diving into the Chicago Bears a little bit closer. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So a couple quotes have been floating around that are absolutely fantastic. One of them, uh, Ryan Wood tweeted out, he said, I asked Tucker Craft how he envisions sharing the field with Luke Musgrave in the Packers offense long term. He said, explosive plays, confused defenses, just us punishing people in the fashion that we like to do it. He says, I think Jordan Love might enjoy that a bit. The other one that is very cool is, uh, and, and it's something that I've been hoping has still been going on, I've been trusting that has been still been going on, but this is tweeted out by Matt Schneidman and, and several others probably. But he says, Bo Melton said today that Jordan Love has hosted dinner and a film session at his house with the entire offense every Monday since the season started. Defense is invited too, just the bond of staying connected with him, that's big as a wide receiver, Bo Melton said. So again, Jordan's always been big on this. You know, we've, we've heard the stories when we were diving into Jordan about, you know, his college receivers and how they would, you know, if a guy can't get to practice, he'd go pick him up and make sure he was there. And he would call guys up like, let's go, we're working now. Like he was the, the driving force and making sure that the guys were doing what needed to be done. And so the fact that every week he's hosting a, a dinner over at his house for all the offensive people to come over and watch tape, must have a big living room. Uh, Matt LaFleur was asked about Bo Melton. He said, Matt LaFleur thinks Bo Melton could produce long-term. He's got a tremendous talent in the fact that he's really fast, and obviously you can't coach that. It's just good to see somebody out there get an opportunity and transfer it from practice into a game. So I talked a little bit last night in Packernet After Dark about Bo Melton. It was, it was kind of interesting, just kind of reading up on him a little bit, kind of going back. So if you didn't listen to that, 2022 seventh-round pick by the Seattle Seahawks out of Rutgers. There were people that had him as high as in the 60s. That was not super common. He was like a consensus fifth-round pick. 
But again, some people had him as high as, as potentially a, a late second round pick. And so there's a lot of varying degrees. Obviously, the NFL was not as high on him, but it will definitely be interesting to see how that all uh, transfers and, can, and continues. I mean, he's got one more game to prove it. And if they win this game, he can go on to potentially play another one. I know he's going to get buried a little bit on the depth chart, but even with the guys healthy, he should be getting a couple reps out there. My, my biggest question is, can he be a Christian Watson replacement? Can he go out there and stretch the field? I don't mean one-to-one, but can he go out there and stretch the field if we don't have our field stretcher on the field at that time? But instead of Bo Melton, I want to talk real quick about Jaden Reed. Um, Another one that, as the season goes on, I kind of want to, this might even be good off-season content, kind of go back and look at what other people had said. One of those guys is a guy by the name of Matt Waldman, and I just happened to come across this. He's kind of releasing some of his, he does a lot of fantasy football stuff. He's a draft guy, but I really, I mean, he's one of the more, I would say, respected sort of underground draft people. Does his own thing, puts in a ridiculous amount of work, and then puts together a draft guide that lots of people buy, and I'm sure he makes a ton of money, and this is what he does full time. The problem is, he's a fantasy football guy. So he's not scouting defense. He's not, I don't think, scouting any offensive line. It's like wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, quarterbacks. I think that's it. But anyways, he posted, I saw he posted something about, um, let's see, it says Matt Waldman's RSP pre-NFL draft scouting report and post-draft analysis on Packers wide receiver Jaden Reed. And I thought, let's check it out. Couple notes that he had put on Jaden Reed. And and this is why it's like, I, I decided not to buy his thing. Because I did it last time, I, you know, you're spending money on a lot of different things. And if you don't have a comprehensive draft guide on some other stuff, then I don't know that I want it. But it might be worth it for the high level analysis of the positions he does cover. But here are a couple of the notes that I found. And I, and I bring this up because, you know, again, we, 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 I tend to look at prospects through the lens of consensus, right? And he was when I looked at my consensus, not even in the top 100, and then we drafted him in the second round, it was a reach. But that's not what everybody thinks. Couple notes. Um, Reed was in my second highest tier on my post-draft board as my 14th ranked player out of 217 rookies and one of the three most underrated options in the first, sec- uh, uh, in the first two tiers of the RSP post-draft cheat sheet. Here's one of the comments he made because it was, there was a question about he kind of talks through like where was a good value to draft Reed in fantasy football. I'm going to skip all that because I don't really want to talk about fantasy football. But one of the, the common critiques was I don't trust Jordan Love, therefore I don't want Jane Reed. And he said that's fair. And then he goes on to talk. And here's one of the comments he says about that. He says, I'm confident in Reed's ability. I'm not confident in his role or the play of Jordan Love. If Love has developed during his time away from the field, Reed could be a cornerstone of a good passing offense. He might even become one of the two top weapons. And then he says, if Love struggles, the team struggles, and the coaches get fired, Reed could be thrown out with the rest of the young players from an old regime. Now, that's obviously not the way that things are trending. He goes on to say, Love proved his time away from the field was worthwhile for his development, and Reed proved he had more immediate value than many prognosticated. Back in April 1st, Reed earned an immediate starter grade on my pre-NFL draft scouting, from the 2023 Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Then he gives the complete Jaden Reed scouting report. So his comparisons were Stefan Diggs, yes, Lavernius Coles, and K.J. Hamler. So it's sort of high-end, the middle, like, you know, expected range, and then the low end, which is K.J. Hamler. And I was a fan of Stefan Diggs in college. I was a fan of K.J. Hamler. I kind of feel like, in a way, I got my guy. I just didn't know it. Lavernius Coles, I have no idea. I wasn't scouting back in the Lavernius Coles days. And then it says uh, depth depth of talent st- uh, depth of talent score eighty five point five, which means starter. And it says starting immediately with a large role and learning on the go. Here was his elevator pitch. Reed is a difficult boom bust evaluation. If you define the boom as elite and bust as a valued contributor. A little further down, it says it comes down to this with Reed. If his hand position at the catch point were a little sharper and his his release and route game were a little bit more refined against top-tier cornerback prospects, he'd be a top receiver on my board. The fact is, Reed's pass-catching technique can remain as they are, and he could still deliver as a quality NFL starter. At the same time, a few mishandled targets early in his career could alter his confidence and his team could change the perception of his future value. 
If he holds up well against top cornerbacks at the catch point and as a route runner, a few lapses with his hands position won't be a major concern. Here's where it gets interesting. If he shuts the door on those concerns and his film shows he's more than capable of doing so, he could earn a legitimate comparison to Stefan Diggs. Now, even I'm looking at that going, come on, man. Come on, man. Let's calm down. But I'm just reading it. This isn't a Packer fan talk. I actually have no idea if he's a Packer fan, but it's, I, I didn't write this. Reed consistently wins tight window throws. Thanks to his positioning at the catch point, he knows how to earn position late in the target trajectory and project, uh, protect the ball when possible. A little further down, a kind of question-answer thing. It says, what is his best scheme fit? They use him on either side of the formation and in the slot. He's used as the X, split end, and the Z, flanker. What is his ceiling scenario? A primary threat used in all three roles and production leader in the passing game. What is his floor scenario? A fourth or fifth option in the passing game as the team's third or fourth receiver and is restricted too often to, to schemed targets that exploit his skills as a ball carrier. I can't go through all this because it's unbelievable how much he goes through. He writes about um, his releases. Uh, he's got about eight paragraphs. His separation, route stems, route setup, route breaks, zone uh, routes, uh, route boundary, pass tracking, hands and catch radius, position, focus, transition, elusiveness, vision, power, direction, contact, balance, blah, 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 blah. There's a bunch of these things. Um, but I did skip the beginning part, and I want to circle back there real quick. He starts off by saying, Reed was one of my favorite receivers in the 2023 NFL draft class. Then the next paragraph down, it says, it's why in the RSP post-draft analysis, I thought Reed was an underrated fit for the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, it just kind of gives me a feeling a little bit like Jordan Love. What did I always say about Jordan Love? If he's ever going to become the guy that he was meant to be, or, or I shouldn't even say it that, if he's ever going to be that sort of elite quarterback prospect, it's going to happen in Green Bay. And what I like about this is you got Matt Waldman saying, this guy is legitimately fantastic. And even at his bottom end, he's a solid contributor. But he has Stephon Diggs upside. Where is his best fit? Green Bay Packers. Where does he end up? Green Bay. So I'll say it again. If the guy's ever going to reach his ceiling, it's likely going to happen here. And another barrier in his way is if Jordan Love doesn't pan out when it looks like he's looking fantastic. And if Matt LaFleur can't operate or build an offense around, it doesn't look like that's going to be a concern. And we're starting to see Jaden Reed pick it up a little bit, right? You start to see these little steps. It's like, oh man, he's getting better and better and better. Kind of wonder how high this thing's going to go with Jaden Reed. And let's not forget, I mean, Christian Watson, man, I know the injuries are a problem. And if, if he remains injured forever, <clears throat> then it's just nothing worth even talking about. But for crying out loud, Christian Watson was one of the best players in the NFL last year once he got going. And he just revved up again this year for like two or three weeks as one of the more elite wide receivers in football. And then he got hurt again. I really think he has elite upside. I've been saying that since basically week one or week two or week three or whatever week it was that I started tuning into Christian Watson and becoming a believer. If that guy can stay healthy, I think we got something really, really special. I like all the other guys. I like Dobbs. I like Wicks. But I, I'm, I'm beginning to really genuinely believe in Christian Watson and Jaden Reed. And again, if, if we have to go get another, I have no issue with that. Um, all right, why don't we take our final break? I want to come back. I've been teasing it for a while, but I want to dig at least make one very distinct point about the Chicago Bears that needs to be mentioned and their defense. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. So I've, I've already mentioned, if you look at DVOA, which you know takes competition into account, this has maybe been the best defense in football since week 12-ish or something. I don't really know. Um, and we can dig a little bit into their players, and we will. One of the things that I saw somebody mention that, that I don't think can be really denied is the fact, you know, I, I had talked about several players in the past as being overrated. And one of the easiest ways to seem really smart is find somebody that is massively overrated because of things they're doing that is completely unsustainable. I talked about that with um, Trayvon Diggs in Dallas. He had more interceptions than anybody in the last friggin' like 20 years. It was ridiculous. That's not sustainable. Now, he might have a higher average from that point forward than your average guy. I mean, I'm not saying interceptions can't be a skill, but there is a range of be between like low end and high end in terms of your, abil your abilities as a, you know, sort of a ball hawk. 
And that number that you just got is wildly unsustainable. And you see guys that are not necessarily even good at it get those unsustainable seasons. It just kind of falls in your direction. Like Kevin King dominated in interceptions one year. One thing that needs to be paid attention to, and you can say this is because of the defense if you want, but there is a really big unsustainable thing happening with the Chicago Bears that is a big part of their success, and that is turnovers. So they had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five games with zero turnovers in the first 10 weeks. They had a total of two, four, six, nine turnovers in uh, the first 10 weeks. They had eight in the next two weeks. Starting in week 11, which I don't even think 11 is when their defense really started. I think it's week 12, maybe. I don't know. Four turnovers, four turnovers, three turnovers, three turnovers, zero against the Cardinals, but it's the Cardinals, and four turnovers. And if you look at that one week, remember, Chicago's been very good, but they also had that one week where it really wasn't that impressive. It was week 16. They were basically an average defense. That was their week against the Cardinals. So, look, if if the argument is... This is a, de- a defense that's just a ball-hawking defense, and they're always going to get picks, no matter what, except that Cardinals game, but that doesn't count, or anything prior to Week 11. Then fine, the, the formula is simple. This is a defense that's not necessarily good. It's a defense that has generated a lot of value through turnovers, and purely through turnovers. If you remove the turnovers, they've generated nothing. But then you've also got to contend with the fact that I've, I've watched some of these games. Do you remember watching, I think it was the Minnesota game? Some of these passes that just floated in the air right into the hands of the, like they threw like three back to back to back. Just these wobbly nothing passes just right into the arms of the defenders. Now I can't account for all, let's see, four, eight, 12, 15, 18 interceptions over the last 11 or since week 11. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six games. So what are they averaging? Three a game? Absolutely, totally, and completely unsustainable. And actually, I can go back and watch all of these. That, so the, the, uh, the Falcons game, the first interception, he threw it to... Maybe it was the Falcons game that I'm thinking of. Bro, the, the, first of all, this was, this was going to hit the dirt in front of your guy. Second of all, there's a linebacker standing there, and he was able to just dive and make this catch. I mean, the, the dumbest pile of crap interception I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I mean, th- these are just... These are ill-advised throws. I just saw the second one. It was the same thing. There was a defender there... Um, I mean, the guy at least somewhat looked open, but the defender was easily able to drop and just pick this thing off. And then the third interception of this game, let's just watch it live here. He's going to take the snap. And again, in, in all three of these, that time there was pressure, but that had to have come close to the, oh my good Lord. I mean, he just threw a Hail Mary pass in the middle of a bunch of Bears defenders. What an idiot. I mean, listen, this is not massively impressive stuff. It just isn't. And, and if you look at the drives, I mean, it's just, <laughs> um, you've got, let's go up to the top here. So we got a missed field goal. So the defense didn't stop them. They drove down, they got in field goal range, and then they missed it. Then you have a missed field goal again. So the defense didn't stop them. It was, so it was seven plays, 44 yards, and then they missed the field goal. It was 11 plays, 51 yards. They missed the field goal. Next play, they got a touchdown, and then there was a punt. Next drive, so that then it was Bears touchdown, then it was punt again. And then there was the interception. Next play was a field goal, and then another interception. Then a touchdown, then a punt, then an interception, interception, end of the fourth quarter. So there were actually four interceptions in this game. Four interceptions and two missed field goals. So here, let's do a little bit of math here, all right? Let's, because the Bears missed a field goal too, so, so let's make all the field goals. Let's take away some of the, the fluky mistakes. So all missed field goals are now made field goals. And let's do our best to make the interceptions go away and just see with an interceptionless game, how do these things fall? And again, I'm not saying the defense has no impact on, on interception, but I am saying that what they're doing is wildly unsustainable. And moving forward, you're going to see more games that are closer to even in terms of turnover differential. So one thing I did, let's look at the Atlanta Falcons. They scored 17 points. All right. If you look at their points scored per drive, you can see what it is. It's 1.62. So if you take that, and you multiply it by their four drives, you assume that with those four turnovers, had they not been turned over, they would have scored roughly 6.48 points. So maybe a touchdown, but I'll just leave it at 6.48, okay? Now we're going to add the missed field goals 
puts them at 12.48. Add it to the 17 points. They're at 29.48 points. Let's just call it 29 points. Now, the Bears scored 10 points off of those interceptions. So let's deduct those. That drops them down to 27. Add back the field goal they missed. That puts them at 30. So the Bears are at 30. The Falcons are at 29.48. And again, we can call it, we can call it 29. That's fine. 29 to 30. But this isn't even necessarily to say they should have lost the game. This is simply to say the defense did not, as, did not perform as well as is being perceived. And again, even if you want to dismiss everything I'm saying and saying nonsense, this team is just really good at turnovers, then again, understand what I'm saying. If you protect the football so that they don't get three or four turnovers in this game, you're very likely to win the game because it neutralizes what makes their defense so good. Because I think what's being pictured is this defense that's really, really stout up front, a defense that is just elite in terms of run defense, in terms of pass rush, in terms of coverage, in terms of all these things. And really, it's a team that's been gifted interceptions by quarterbacks that suck in blizzards. I mean, there were two different quarterbacks in this game. You had Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. So looking at their defense via PFF, the highest graded guy, somebody that is actually having a very good year. I think last time I looked, he was the number one corner in football is Jalen Johnson. Um, Now, again, there's more to the story than that, which there usually is. It was the same with Jair and everything else, too. But right now, I think the number one highest uh, graded cornerback in football He's also one of the guys on the Bears injury report that has not practiced all week. And surprisingly, Jalen Johnson has not been the main turnover guy. He's had, in that span, just two of those turnovers. He had one against Minnesota Week 12, one against Detroit in Week um, uh, 14. Something else to notice is that two of his worst games have come the past two weeks against Arizona and Atlanta. And then something else to consider when you're talking about this elite prospect, and most anyways, is that it's not as the, like he's got a 90.8 PFF grade. That doesn't mean that when you see them, you're going to get a 90.8 type performance. In fact, he's only had one game above a 90.8. Everything else has been below that. He's had one, two, three, four, five, six games at 60 in the 60s or below, which means you're, you're, you're kind of just rolling the dice with what you're going to get with Jalen Johnson. I mean, if we just go in order, 60, 70, 80, 60, 80, 60, 70, 50, 70, 90, 80, 80, 50, 60. That three-game run really thrust him into the uh, the top spot. And yes, two of those games were his interception games. Man, I'm not trying to talk down Jalen Johnson. He's having a fantastic year. Um, but again, it's an inconsistent year. And if we look at his history, this is year four for him. His grades have been 50, 60, 60, 91. His coverage grade, 50, 60, 60, 91. Maybe he just figured it out in year four with, with uh, Eberflus and everything else. Like he just It just locked in, and they got it. Or maybe he had one, two, three, four, five really good games, and that propelled his season, and it's not likely to be reproduced. One of those two things, I don't know. But again, he might not even play. So where then are all these freaking interceptions coming from? Well, they're kind of being evenly distributed. You got four from Tyreek Stevenson, another corner, uh, four total from Jalen Johnson, although, again, two of those only in this span. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds has four. TJ Edwards has three. Kyler Gordon has two. And then Jaquan Brisker, Jack Sanborn, Quindell Johnson, Greg Stroman, and Eddie Jackson each have one. And there's no one guy that's, like, really just getting a bunch. Everybody has one or two in that span. And so then you look at it and say, okay, well, maybe that explains part of it, but how do you know that explains everything? Well, I don't. But we can try to isolate some of the other things and say, well, how are they doing since week 12 in these other categories? So why don't we look at things like sacks? Chicago in that span has 14 sacks. That is tied for 19th. 19th through 22nd are the the teams that have only 14 sacks. The Packers have 17 for the record, tied for 10th. Let's look at interceptions, by the way, just, just to show you how completely outlandish this is. So you've got, the Packers are very low. They have not done a very good job with this. They're tied with Kansas City, Minnesota, Las Vegas, and, and the Chargers with two. But it goes teams with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, thirteen. 13. That's the list. Teams either have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or 13 if you're the Chicago Bears. Come on. Come on. The Baltimore Ravens and Cleveland Browns, the absolute best defenses undeniably in the NFL, actually good at this stuff, have eight. They have nearly freaking double. San Francisco, seven. 
Chicago Bears have 13. Give me a freaking break. What about this really stout front we've heard about? These guys are really good up front. Maybe they're not rushing the passer, even though I've heard all about Sweat being this elite pass rusher and all that stuff. But what about just like stopping the run? Well, in that span, Chicago Bears are allowing 4.6 yards per attempt. That's tied for 23rd. So I don't even need to go to the point of necessarily saying they're bad, because I don't know that they're bad. I, I think that they're maybe a mid-tier, possibly even above average. I, it's, it's hard to say because the interceptions impact so much. And it's also hard to say how much of the interceptions are legitimate. Again, go back and watch the interceptions yourself. These are, these are wildly and massively ill-advised throws that should not have been thrown and would not have been thrown by teams and quarterbacks that aren't as bad. If anything, they've done a really good job being disciplined and taking advantage, full advantage of every single opportunity that's been made available to them, which is not an easy thing to do. In fact, it's impossible, which is why they're not going to be able to continue doing it. So look, I mean, you have to be careful. I mean, that's the bottom line. Just don't fall into that trap. Don't start throwing interceptions. Win the freaking turnover battle, or at least make it neutral because you're the better football team. I mean, look, at the end of the day, they have five players with positive grades. I shouldn't say positive, with good grades. Montez Sweat is right at a 70. Not nearly as elite as a lot of people have said. In fact, since he came to Chicago, he dropped from a 77 down to a 67. He's had some horrific games. He had a 39.8 grade against Detroit, 38 against Arizona, and 59 this past week. He's been kind of bad with one good game mixed in. Um, I mean, the, the statistics are ridiculous, but even that, even some of those statistics are unsustainable. He has 36 pressures and eight sacks or he has what 16 sacks this freaking year and eight of them. So 16 is for the record, the highest amount of sacks Montez Sweat has ever had is 10. He has eight with Washington and eight with Chicago. Seven of those eight came in three games. He's played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. So he has zero in half of his games in seven in just three games. And those are the three games that he graded out positively. But again, he doesn't have a positive grade. He has a 55 run defense grade with the Bears. It was 84 with Washington. 66 tackling, 69 pass rush, and 49 coverage. That's what he's done with Chicago. While all the Bears fans are bragging about how elite this guy is. Okay, after that, you have cornerback Tyrell Smith. He has a 71.8 grade, but he has a 65.9 coverage grade. And he's only had one, two, I'll even give him three. Three good games as far as his coverage grade. That's it. Then you get the actual jumps. You have TJ Edwards, who I was, I said flat out, was actually really good. You have Noah Sewell, who is not even a starting linebacker. Um, he's a backup linebacker. He hasn't really played. He played a little bit week 17. And the only reason his grade is so good is because of one game week three. So he, he doesn't count. So really they have one, two, three, four positively graded or good grades. And then Jalen Johnson, who may not play. So if Jalen Johnson doesn't play, TJ Edwards is the only guy with a really, really good grade. If Jalen Johnson does, we already talked about him. TJ Edwards, 82 PFF grade, 79, call it 80 run defense grade, 73 tackling grade, 77 coverage grade. He always grades out really well. He continues to grade out really well. He's a good football player. It just is what it is. But that's it. That's it. The defensive line, the number one defensive tackle is Justin Jones. He has a 50 PFF grade. Um, after him is Andrew Billings, 67. And then Jervon Dexter, their rookie, with a 53 PFF grade. And then Zach Pickens, the other rookie, 56. Their defensive tackles are not good. Then off the edge, you've got, again, we've said Sweat, who's good, not great. Um, Demarcus Walker, 59 PFF grade. He's been absolutely awful. The last four weeks, 50, 60, 40, 40. And then Rasheem Green, he's got a 52 PFF grade. So that's their edge rushers. Corner, again, Jalen Johnson. We'll see if he plays. Tyreek Stevenson has a 60 PFF grade, 59 coverage. He's got a billion interceptions and pass breakups. Again, pretty unsustainable, but congratulations. And the fact that he has four interceptions and 12, 12 pass breakups and still has a 59 coverage grade, what are you even doing with your life? And then Kyler Gordon, 66 PFF grade. So, okay, whatever. Uh, we'll see if Jalen Johnson plays. And then at safety, Jaquan Brisker, the, the the savior of the universe, greatest safety in the world, so they thought, 63 PFF grade, 59 coverage grade. 
Um, oh, I skipped the linebackers, but that's all right. We'll come back to it. And then Eddie Jackson, 57 and 59. He's, he has one pick, two uh, pass breakups, and three touchdowns given up. See what happens when Eddie Jackson doesn't get 500 interceptions? That's what happens. Eddie Jackson was another guy. He had a billion interceptions, was the number one safety in football. Guess what? Unsustainable. His, his interceptions went down, and as, so did his play and everything else. Because his play was never that good. He just got a bunch of picks. And then linebacker I skipped, even though we did talk about uh, TJ Edwards. Tremaine Edmonds, highest paid linebacker in the entire NFL, has a 56 PFF grade. I freaking told you, morons. I freaking told you. Didn't I freaking tell you? I said it was an anomaly. 57, 59, 41, 48, 82. I said he's not going to do that again. Guess what? Dropped down to a 56. His coverage grade was the biggest driver in that. 50, 50, 30, 30, 90. What's it at right now? 57. He's not that good. He's not that good. I told you, I told you, I told you. And it's the same thing. And listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a genius. I'm just trying to tell you this. You, you can do the same thing. And it seems it's like a magic trick. You could have just as easily predicted that like nobody in the national media was going to do that this dude ain't that good. First of all, because they didn't even realize it to begin with. Everybody thought Tremaine Edmonds is good and probably always has been. I don't, we don't really know what's going on around here. But I just... just if, if you don't have PFF, you can just hear me say it, or, or you can look at it, or what, you know, if you do have it. But the same thing that told me that this guy was not going to be good in Chicago is telling me that Chicago is not actually as good as everybody thinks they are. The interceptions are unsustainable, and the interceptions are really the only thing that makes them seem as good as they are. And I don't know how good they actually are, because everything is being, you know, it, it you know, I mean, it, it, I... I if you look at, for example, the what about the quarterback's passer rating? Well, the interceptions are negatively impacted by that. What about, you know, I looked at first downs. How many first downs did they get? Well, when you take away an entire drive with an interception and do it four times, the cumulative inter- the first downs are going to be lower. Now, there were things like completion percentage that the Bears did fairly well in. And obviously, you know, those four passes would be factored in. But, you know, over the course of a game, completion percentage being low speaks well to the Bears. But then again... Why were there so many interceptions? Because the quarterbacks are not very good to begin with, which is kind of a known thing anyways. They, they did well against poor competition, and even DVOA, it's like if you, let's just say we stripped away, because I, I mentioned yesterday, according to DVOA, this is one of the top in football, there's no doubt about it. But what happens if you strip away the interceptions? Bring it down to its bare bones. And I know a lot of people are like, you can't do that. I'm telling you, this is the way you predict out the future. You look at things like one-score games. You look at missed field goals. You look at interceptions. You look at drop passes. You look at fumbles and fumble recoveries. These are all fluky things. These are all fluky and unsustainable things aside from sort of the, the mean. They, they, they are not predictive moving forward. And they're, not, they're a terrible indicator of how good a team is. Terrible. And as far as I can tell, this is the only real indicator or driver and what's made the Bears' defense so good, which tells me it's not a very good defense. And funny enough, from a player perspective, if you just look at guys who grade out well, um, the offense has more guys. Braxton Jones, the tackle. Um, some of these guys didn't play a bunch, so you got to skip. Through. Cole Komet, if he plays. Uh, Deontay Foreman, uh, he only played nine games, but still. Tevin Jenkins, playing real well. Justin Fields is grading out well, mostly because of his rushing ability, but whatever, he can run. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, Khalil Herbert, DJ Moore, obviously, at the top of this list. Those guys are at least in the 70s, with DJ Moore being in the 80s. I wouldn't go so far as to say the offense is better than the defense, but I think it's it's kind of flying under the radar that maybe the offense has improved more so, possibly, even than the defense. But the defense is getting all the picks. The defense is probably part of the reason they're winning these games. Again, um, I would say there's a good chance they still end up winning that Falcons game, even without the interceptions. Obviously, there's no way of knowing. But at, at the very least, would have been very close. Um, you got the Cardinals game, which, um, again, there were no picks in that game for in favor of the Bears, and they did end up winning that game. But again, the defense didn't actually grade out that well via DVOA. Cleveland, they actually they got three picks, but they gave away three balls. So it was even, and they lost that game. Detroit, three picks. Not really sure which way that would have gone. I mean, we can do the math on it just to kind of see maybe, you know, odds are whatever. Again, they still probably win that game. But in both cases, it's because of the offense. It's because they scored 28 against Detroit and 37 against the Falcons. That's the reason. 
that they, if they win, that they win. Now, so I, I, if you just do the math, they they score two points, some odd points per drive or whatever. So that put them up to about twenty points. Then you you know go in, subtract out the points that were gained by the Bears on those picks, equal out the field goals, and see where it ends up. But again, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is, you know, Minnesota. They they had four picks compared to two, and they won by two points. That's not going to be a win. And before that, they played Detroit and lost. So, I mean, you played a a terrible Minnesota team, and you beat them by two points despite the four interceptions. You beat Detroit basically with your offense and the three pick. You lost to Cleveland. You beat Arizona, but you didn't get any picks, and your defense didn't perform that well. You beat them because you scored 27 points. That's offense. I, I, I really think the revelation here is the offense is what's actually doing it, not the defense. 28 against Detroit, 27 against Arizona, 37 against the Falcons. If anything, that should be the focus more so than the defense, especially considering our orientation. The Packers' offense is not really our biggest concern. I think it becomes a fear if you believe that this is the number one defense in football, which I do not, assuming that we don't turn the ball over three or four times. If we can protect the ball, the defense, the Bears' defense shouldn't be that big of an issue. Now you look at an offense that scored nearly 30 points in three out of its last four games. Granted, not against the best defenses in the world. Arizona ranks uh, 31st, Detroit 16th, whatever. Not, not, not good. But as I've said before, I mean, 30 points is 30 points, and 37 is 37. I mean, it's even against bad teams, bad offenses don't generally do that. So our defense needs to tighten up. I mean, that's, that's kind of the bottom line. I'm actually curious, and I think I'm going to spend a little bit of time tomorrow, if I can, kind of digging a little bit more into this, uh, especially with NFL.com, the way they have these organized now. be interesting to see kind of how these things lay out and what, what they're doing successfully, when they're successful, and uh, maybe what's not working out so well. So I'll work on that for tomorrow if I can. Otherwise, you guys have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.